That's when we'll make it occur. We'll make it occur at four o'clock. At that moment, that precise moment, we shall destroy evil. This is both my charge and my obligation, Pete, to destroy evil. And we shall do it at four o'clock. I'm not quite sure of the method yet, but that will come to me. It will come to me assuredly, and it will be a revelation. It will be the expiration of immorality, the exordium of the end. Four o'clock, Pete. That's when we'll make it happen, in whatever form I choose. Four o'clock! You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys uh, like um, got over uh, just the, the earth-shattering uh, plot twists of the little people and are able to, to move forward and, I don't know, like... Yeah, to the little people part two that we're covering today. <laughs> oh, oh, you're giving away so much here. I, hey, I did not realize that there was a lot of uh, things running the, the same between uh, that episode and this episode. So, yes, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the episode called Four O'Clock. Uh, but before we get to that uh, and our feelings about that episode, we have something else to talk about. Yeah, so uh, we launched probably uh, three or four days ago our Patreon. So uh, if you head over to patreon.com slash strange highways, um, you, can, you can join up there. Um, we're going to be covering, since April 1st marks the start of the new Twilight Zone series from Jordan Peele, we're going to be covering that series. So we figured... Um, this is a good time to start the Patreon and do the episodes on there. So I think we're going to put the first one up on our usual feed, just so you guys can uh, get an idea of what we're going to be doing with the new show. Um, but the rest of them, for we're putting them at a dollar per month. You get access to all the Jordan Peele episodes and any other like detours or random content that we're going to put up on there. Yeah, so because I know we we've kind of like every so often we'll do like a detour, whether it's like you know, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark or Tales from the Dark Side, whatever, or Black Mirror, um, which I mean we still plan on doing that, and we'll we'll figure out like what's what in terms of like what we'll put on the main feed and what we'll put for Patreons, but like we want to do some of the detour stuff there, including the new twilight zone. So like Kevin was saying, we have three tiers. Um, and so you can, for a dollar a month, you'll have access to the detours and whatever else we put up there. And then, um, we actually have some other, other benefits too. So if you go to the $5 tier, um, which I had the names in front of me and I'm the one that made them. So where are they going here? Yeah. So let's, fi- let's find the names. Yeah. So the yeah. first tier yes. is where is it, everybody? everybody, where is everybody? Yeah. Which um, that's a dollar a dollar a month or more. Uh, it, it, these are all named after Twilight Zone episodes. Hopefully, you guys realize this as we go along. So, where is everybody? A dollar. 
that gives you access to the detours. $5 a month is five characters in search of an exit. I thought of that because of the word five. Um, and that will give you, yeah, it's very clever of me. (laughs) And you know, so it gives you access to the detours and also, um, you could pick any episode of an anthology show, a TV show and have us cover it. Um, just something that's not twilight zone specific, because I feel like we're going to be, you know, whether it's the eighties or the CW, like we're going to cover those in some fashion, I'm sure. Um, so, but if there's any other anthology series out there, you want us to cover an episode, we'll do it. That's, that's not a problem. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, just, uh, uh, hammer house of horror. Hint, hint, yeah. Please. That's, did you know that's, that's all on Amazon prime by the way, or I think some of oh, it is. It? Yeah. A lot yeah, of it I, is. Yeah. I, I own the box set, but uh, that, uh, that TV show is amazing. Yeah. I, I, I saw it. Like I was kind of looking through, through stuff and I'm like, Oh, I didn't know what this is. Cause I, maybe we've talked about it on the show previously, but I found it. I, I don't know how many episodes there are, but I felt like there's like 12 of them up on prime. Um, so yeah. Uh, or, you know, like the show monsters, which I think all three seasons are on prime or tales from the crypt, whatever it is, that's anthology. I mean, even the, the off put like the weird stuff, that's not horror anthology. If you want us to, I don't know what else is out there, but there's other anthology shows that aren't horror and sci-fi. We'll, yeah. we'll do it. And if, if you have a show that you can argue is an anthology, like uh, it's supernatural or something, if you're a fan of that, or like quantum leap, if you want to argue it, that even maybe, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I think, I think some of those are very, uh, very insular, insular uh, episodes, you know, in the first couple seasons where it's like Monster of the Week or yeah, something. Like X Files, I would. So, yeah, it'd be fun. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to be a stickler for it. So yeah. if you can make an argument for it, we'll we'll cover it. Yeah, I'd be like, listen, I want you to cover all the episodes of The Wire. We're not going to do that, but you know, <laughs> although uh, I've never seen The Wire, and <laughs> uh, everyone I. tells me it would be my favorite thing. So, <laughs> uh, but that'd be weird to be like, guys, I want you to cover the the season three episode four, The Wire. Be like, okay, we don't know what's going on, you know, but that we would do it. Yeah, we're gonna need more than five bucks a month though, because uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of wire. I might have to quit my job. That's true. So, and we have one one additional tier. It is uh, the ten dollar or more a month. It's the sixteen millimeter shrine uh where you you will have the ability to pick an anthology film that we would cover on the show and you get to magically walk into the screen and join us on the show and talk about that film and so i think that'd be really exciting and again there's there's plenty of anthology films out there that aren't necessarily horror related not that i'm asking for that but you know the world is yours if you give us ten dollars a month or more you pick an anthology film we'll have you on and we'll have a fun discussion yeah, and also on top of picking the film, and right? I forgot the about the best part. Yes. Uh, come on the show with us if if you so desire. Um, we will also mail you a frame picture of Hyperion, <laughs> the dead racehorse that we discussed all the way back in uh, sometime in season two. We're trying to pin down which episode actually started. <laughs> yeah, the Hyperion we... talk, but uh, yeah, you're gonna get a frame photo of a dead horse. It I guess the horse isn't dead in the picture, but. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that sounds terrible. um, So like considering that like Kevin has given me a framed photo of Hyperion for my birthday and I have it up in my office, people need to know the joy that I have while looking at Hyperion when I'm like, you know, playing on my computer, look up, I'm like, Oh, he was the most important racehorse. So uh, you support $10 or more a month and join the 16 millimeter shrine. And you can do that. So, or, or you can give us $10 a month to not send you trash in the mail. So that's fine. <laughs> just, yeah. Either it's an incentive or it's protection. Cause you know, you might yeah. just get like, why did these guys keep sending me horses in the mail? Like <laughs> That'd be like a low rent Godfather where we don't just send the head. We just send a picture of a horse every month. Yeah. I like it. 
Um, so yeah, that's our Patreon. Please. I know every other podcast in the world has a Patreon. And so, and, and, and podcasts in general are bleeding the world dry of all available dollars. But if you like the show and you like what we do and you want to hear more, because honestly the new Jordan Peele Twilight Zone stuff, as much as we're excited about it, uh, unfortunately it is an additional subscription service that both Kevin and I have to sign up for. Not that we would be like dragging our feet, like, Oh no, I guess we have to watch twilight zone, but the costs as small as they are, they do add up month to month. So if you guys want us to talk about that and are excited for that and you like our show, every little bit will help. I feel like I'm in like a PBS pledge drive now, but whatever. Um, it's the truth though. Like, like the, yeah, except, except my phone's not ringing off the hook. Yeah. No, it just, I mean, um, Content doesn't come from nowhere in the sense that like, you know, there is costs associated and we've never really talked about it before, but you know, honestly there is, there is costs in hosting the show and, and everything else that we do. And it, and, and not that, not that we're like, you guys owe us money. Like we send you bills in the mail. That's not what we're going to do, but you know, like there's, there's other shows out there that I support and there's other creators that I support because I like the work that they do. And I'm just kind of hoping that if you guys like what we do, that you'll support us, you know, that would be greatly yeah, appreciated. Even if it's just a dollar. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, that's, yeah. So if you and like 100 other friends want to give a dollar, just that's fine. No. Um, so anyway. Yeah. You, I mean, if if we even get 100 bucks a month, like, it, I mean, and that's stretching like I'm going to retire. I'm quitting my job show that we yeah No, <laughs> the live video show that we do in October is going to be amazing. Yeah. Because every do- every dollar we get to this is going to be put back into the show somehow, some way, whether it be merch whether it be better photos of Hyperion or <laughs> whether it just be a, an amazing live show. We'll commission um, an artist to do a really nice painting of Hyperion and make prints of it or something. That would be, yeah, yeah that'd like, be great. <laughs> um, whatever. We'll, we'll roll the money into the show. That's like, yeah. I, you know, like we, we love doing this. It's just, you know, like we want to do more. It's just, we need a little bit of help. So please, yeah. please consider. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. That's that's our plug. Also, if you want to buy some mattresses, that's I'm not going to go and do another <laughs> plug. Because so, Kevin, quick question before we get into this episode: You listen to other podcasts. Do you prefer them just to do the front sell like ad at the beginning of the episode, or do you like it? And when they're in the middle, where they'll be like, "We will be right back," and then they go into the whole minute try, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to sell, and then they get back to the episode. How, how um, do you prefer getting the ad portion out of the way? I, it depends how long the show is. Okay. Like, and whether or not they do a live show, because I understand that people are human and they need to take breaks <laughs> if it's yeah. unedited. So I'm I'm okay with that. But um, I listen to some shows that are like 45 minutes to an hour long, and there's like two ad breaks in the middle. Uh, that can be kind of frustrating. So yeah. I don't I don't want to get to that point with this show. So no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I just like- figure we we drop it because it is news because this is. I'm excited because we're going to be covering the uh, the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. So this is kind of news on that and where you can find it as well. Yeah, it's not like halfway through the episode we're going to be like, and and then we're going to start talking about like Blue Apron or some shit. I don't think we're going to be doing that. You know, like this episode's brought to you by Pop Tarts. Like I don't think well, we're going to be. That's know. the idea of a Patreon. Is yeah, that uh, we can, we can skip the advertisements and we're just advertising something you're already doing. That's, and that's true. Listening to the show. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so we'll we'll start talking about uh, the the actual episode of Twilight Zone that we're covering, and about halfway through we'll we'll stop and do an ad break for peanuts 
No, yeah, when it when it hits four o'clock, when it's four that's o'clock, when that's top of the hour. We're news on the fives and whatever <laughs> traffic and weather. Uh, so, yeah, this this episode's four o'clock, season three, episode twenty nine, air date April sixth, nineteen sixty two. Number one film, Sweet Bird of Youth, which we talked about previously, and then the changes from the movie uh, from the stage show that sounded pretty horrific. Uh, number one song, uh, "Don't Break the Heart That Loves You" by Connie Francis. Uh, and so, uh, your, your interesting, uh, historical fact, couldn't find anything for the sixth, the seventh of April though, 1962 at the Ealing jazz club in London, Brian Jones was introduced to Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. The three would uh, become the heart of the Rolling Stones, which was formed later that year. Oh, very nice. I know you're not a Beatles fan. Are you a Stones fan? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, it's not, I don't think you have to be one or the other. I just didn't know where you fell on the stones. No, I'm fine. And I'm not, not the first thing I go to, but I like them. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Like my mom was a huge Beatles fan. So like the Rolling Stones were kind of like the afterthought for some reason in our household. So like it took me like to get into college to be like, oh, they did a couple other songs I like too, but I've never yeah. really ever did like deep dives in their discography. Maybe I'm doing myself a disservice, but I don't know. I'm kind of okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I, if it's on, I'm not going to complain. I mean, um, yeah, like I, I, I that's I'm, kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with the Beatles too these days. Like, I, the teenager in me, the the punk teenager, was always like, yeah, screw the Beatles. You know, the Doors were more influential just to get people mad. <laughs> but like, I I always understood they're great songwriters and, um, you know, um wildly creative and ahead of their time and everything. Like I always understood all that. Just not my type of stuff. That's like, fair. I, I always listen to a, listen to a lot of country and a lot of metal <laughs> mostly. So <laughs> I, I feel like the Beatles don't really, uh, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for some of the stuff touching on some, uh, some country influence. But yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah. right? Like, I, I don't know, but, um, yeah, I, I guess I, more so the Rolling Stones, right? They're a country album, I fall, right? Do they? I think they do, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I fell more on like the Led Zeppelin like range of things. Like I'm not like the Stones. Like I feel like they had some teeth to some of their songs, but I'm just you know it is what it is. Yeah, so. Led Zeppelin, House yeah. of the Holy in high school, love that album. Yeah, so yeah. that's uh, but but that wasn't the band that formed on this, this uh, almost yeah. thing, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so all right. Um, anyway. Uh, that's, that's what I got for day and date. So let's just get into cast and crew, like as many of them there are in this. Yep. So this episode was directed by Lamont Johnson, who we first talked about all the way back in the episode, the shelter. Um, he also directed five characters in search of an exit, nothing in the dark, one more Paul bear, kick the can and two more future episodes, which I think one of them will be the episode next week. Um, so he'll be back very shortly. The episode was written by Rod Serling. At least the teleplay was. It was based on a short story by Price Day, who I couldn't find a lot of information about him. But uh, I wrote, I put in quotes. I thought the name of the story was called Price Day. <laughs> I didn't realize that was the name of the person. <laughs> yeah, the, the short story was uh, the same title, Four O'clock. <laughs> oh, I Price Day to me sounds like if that's the name of a person that they either need to like run a supermarket or be a game show host. I don't know why. I feel like. That's just, uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy, uh, name to Google search. I can tell you, I, I brought up a lot of stuff <laughs> that was not about that author. Um, oh. but he actually, he started out doing poetry and short stories. 
um, submitting them to different magazines and everything. And this was originally published in the April 1958 issue of Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine. Uh, but eventually he kind of he found his way into journalism and became really successful, actually won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, and it, it, he's much more known as a journalist than a short story author or anything. And uh, as far as that goes, he only had one other credit as far as like uh, his work being turned into TV or film. He had a movie based off of one of his, one of his uh, works called The Lady and the Mob from 1939 that actually starred, speaking of 60 millimeter shrine, Ida Lupino. Oh, okay, cool. I did not realize that because clearly I didn't look up anything about this person because I thought that was the name of the story. So, yeah, it, it was hard to find a lot of this stuff. Uh, IMDb had just those two credits. And um, thanks to a, a few Twilight Zone blogs that actually took the time to dig stuff up on this guy. Um, I really couldn't find much on my own about him. So, so. <clears throat> I'll, I'll get into this now because I figured this, since I screwed up about like realizing that the, the name of the author and the story. So there's some trivia that I have about how this this particular story, Four O'Clock, got in front of Sterling. Uh, I figured it'd be pertinent to mention it now as opposed to waiting to the big reveal at the end. Um, so Robert Bernstein at Random House first approached Rod Serling in 59 about a possibility of publishing an anthology uh, stories from the Twilight Zone. And he sent a sample of the books that that what it would look like. So he had mailed Serling some copies of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents like books, like his anthologies. And there's one called uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, My Favorites in Suspense. And so while Hitchcock never had a hand in anthologies except for like lending his name to the book, the editor chose a short story called Four O'Clock by Price Day. It's right there in the book. I messed it up. Um, it was this anthology that exposed Sterling, Sterling to the story. So he found this story because they're trying to convince him like, Hey, you should maybe like make an anthology of like actual printed works. So it was just basically saying, this is what this would look like. And this story, which I know you'll talk about later was in there. And that's how this came across his like radar. Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah, only, I, only I, thing I, I know Hitchcock eventually ended up uh, directing something called like three o'clock for the suspense TV show, which, uh, it didn't necessarily have the same storyline, but it took some elements from this. Hmm. Um, and I think somebody ended up remaking that suspense episode for Alfred Hitchcock presents under three o'clock. Hmm. So this, uh, this story did have some legs and it, it, it did. You can see waves of it go through the sci-fi community and horror community for a little while, uh, whether it be in these anthology books or, um, through different TV shows. But this is, uh, this is a very close adaptation from the short story. Okay. Honestly, uh, I I was telling Paul before we got on the air, I totally forgot that this was based on a short story, and I was trying to read them if the episode is based on it. And so I was scrambling trying to find it today. Uh, the thing's about a three-minute read. So <laughs> if you want to read it, uh, just Google Price Day, uh, 4 o'clock, and it's like the first thing on, on Google. And it, it's, it's really close. It gives you some insight. As far as like the bird, um, but <laughs> that's honestly, that's I'm more interested in Pete than I am. Most of what else goes on this episode. So <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a tiny little bit. We'll get to it when we get into the story, but there's a little bit more with the bird and there are no other characters. So everything, uh, basically Serling took the short story and stretched it out 
into a 25 minute teleplay. This is my uh, surprise from, like, face. Like a one page, one page <laughs> treatment, basically. What was that? This is my surprise face. I know we're recording in separate locations and you can't see it, but that's my surprise face when you're like, yeah. oh, you stretched the story out to 25 minutes. Huh. Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of dialogue, which uh, Serling, you know, that's probably why I picked this. He's like, oh, I can have fun with this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that, that probably makes sense. So, all right. So let's get into uh, the cast. Uh, be that as it may. Yeah. So we have uh, our main character, Theodore Bickle, who plays Oliver Krangle, who uh, he was a Broadway actor, ended up performing a lot of musicals, um, actually was nominated for two Tonys. Um, he was uh, an African queen, my fair lady. He's actually in a horror film called I Buried the Living, which I think I own. I don't think I've ever watched. Yeah. <laughs> I, I may have watched it. I don't I don't know. I think it's on one of those like it's, it's just him with Coke, It's just him with Coke <laughs> bottle glasses and a parrot like trying to find graves. Like he's you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I accidentally buried the living again. <laughs> uh, this was his only Not, Twilight yeah, Zone like, appearance. <laughs> and then uh, one thing I was so he was well known as a folk musician as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that I was kind of surprised about was he was one of the co-founders of the Newport Folk Festival with Pete Seeger, which is really famous if you're a fan of Bob Dylan, because that's what kind of gave Bob Dylan his first major platform. Um, I think he was booed off stage for using electric guitar (laughs) at the Newport Folk Festival when he first played. So, uh, okay, that's that sounds like a very hipster thing to do now. Like, but that, that happened then. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you're a fan of folk music at all, you know what the Newport Folk Festival is. So it was it was kind of interesting to see that he was the driving force behind that. Hmm. So and I, he's got he's got something like 20, 20 plus albums as well. Yeah. It, so he um, he actually um, whenever the original production of Sound of Music was on Broadway, um, he created the role of Captain Von Trapp. So he actually they brought him in and he created that character. Uh, I've seen the sound of music. I feel like it was a punishment as a child when I was in school, like elementary school to watch sound of music. So I hated it, but a lot of people love that film and they love the, 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 the musical and the fact that he actually created a character that is predominant in it is pretty cool. Um, he actually screen tested to be Goldfinger uh, in the bond film. Um, huh. I, and yeah, he, he would, he would have been good for that. Uh, I feel like, yeah, he just, I have not seen Goldfinger. Um, there's actually a lot of early bond I've not seen, but I could see this guy, the way he chews the scenery and his line delivery of being a good bond villain. Uh, yeah, like maybe, uh, maybe that's why I really liked his performance yeah. in this. He was just playing a bond villain. <laughs> yeah, pretty much just sub out the, the bird for a cat, you know, that's fine. And, and sub out his apartment yeah. for a lava you know, um, like a lava lair and you're, you're good. Um, so sub, sub every room out for a lava lair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, wait, wait, think about that connection. He was going to be Goldfinger. And then we have the episode that Lamont Johnson directed of, um, one more, Paul, one more Paul bearer with, um, Oh, um, what's his name? The, the lead actor in that, he was a bond villain, right? Wasn't yeah. He, Dr. Yeah. Dr. No. Was that, was yeah. that? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Huh, Lamont Johnson, you know, the godfather of Bond villains, or well, one and a half Bond villains. Uh, all right. Uh, so also, um, uh, Bickle appeared in an episode of uh, a CBS show called Appointment with Adventure, which was an anthology series, which, you know, if you guys want to pick that, we'll try to find it. Good luck. Um, the episode was written by Rod Serling. So that might be his first like like encounter with Bickle. And also later on, uh, he was in an episode of Star Trek Next Generation where he played a Russian-born adoptive father of Lieutenant Worf. 
What? I. All right. <laughs> well, you, you know, like I know you don't know Star Trek, but you know Worf. Michael Dorn's a Klingon, right? So, yeah. but he was the adoptive father of of you know Worf, but he's Russian. I don't know. I, I need to maybe go back and watch the episode now. Um, Sounds like a terrible storyline. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Bickle was a big political activist, which I think, like, like you, if you're a folk singer, then it's probably you know that other thing that you do. Yeah, um, kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and he was much more like a liberal and like, you know, going out and constantly. So there, there's a couple stories I found when I was reading about how he would be like in between filming and go out and attend like rallies and speak and how that was kind of a problem for actors back then, because they're like, everyone's like actors just need to act and not like, you know, actually be involved. And he would, at his free time when he wasn't on set, he'd be out doing all this stuff. So he is a really interesting person. Um, so I appreciate everything that he did. Clearly he, he, he had a huge impact in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't think he is my problem with this episode. So I will say that like this guy, hell of a life, you know, is he still with us? Maybe, maybe he just passed away recently. Uh, I think he's, no, I think he just passed away in, I think it was either 2005, no, 2015. Okay. That's what it was. So, all right. Yeah. So just a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, right before we started the show, basically, <laughs> That's very crazy. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, this is a guy that had a, a really interesting career. I am not familiar with him. Yeah. I mean, I I probably have heard his music before because my parents were big folk music fans. Took me to a lot of uh, folk concerts and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's like and it being as I I think I wrote a report on. Bob Dylan to the Newport Folk Festival in high school. So I'm sure his name had popped up before. <laughs> With such hits um, as Theodore Bickle and I have a file on you and I'm Theodore Bickle and uh <laughs> and don't 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 bother who I am. Just just fire the guy. That's the other <laughs> It's not I actually kind of I, I kinda wanna write a song called I Have a File on You. <laughs> That's so creepy. But he also enjoyed playing like completely opposite of his political leanings with this character. And you could tell that he just he had fun with it for what it was. Yeah. Well, it brings about a good message, so I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yep. So yeah. we got uh, Phyllis Love, who plays Mrs. Lucas. Um, only Twilight Zone appearance. Couldn't really find much I was too familiar with, with yeah. her work, but she was really good friends with Cloris Leachman, oh. who we know from It's a Good Life. She went to high school with her, and they remained friends throughout nice. their time acting. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. I just put a lot of TV work and I hate that I can sum up someone's life in a brief glimpse at IMDb and be like, oh, they worked a lot in TV. They're probably a wonderful person. Yeah. Speaking of a lot of TV work, we have Lyndon Chills, (laughs) Chillis, who plays Hall, Agent Hall. Um, This is his only Twilight Zone appearance uh, and there's a lot of TV work. (laughs) Yeah. All I wrote down for him was two episodes of Werewolf because I know that every so often that comes up and I know you haven't seen any of it. So I just wanted to bring up the short-lived Fox, early Fox TV show Werewolf. I did actually uh, update on that from season (laughs) one when we discussed Werewolf. (laughs) I wish I had an update button right now. I'd be like, update. (laughs) 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 Um, Because it takes me years to get around to things. Um, I did download the pilot episode a few months ago for werewolf but i've i haven't watched it yet so i know that's, that's really update. exciting that's a really good update i like that you're like you know what i have it yeah that's my i'm update. one step closer to starting that series nice um, you're gonna be <laughs> but, so, yeah he was so also in forbidden world he was in which, what uh, forbidden world I, i'm not sure what that is 
Oh, it's it's kind of like an alien ripoff. I thought you would watch it for year of the ripoff. No, I'd, I'd watched oh. uh, uh, what contamination, alien contamination. That's um, right. Okay, and some other ones, a uh, Saturn three. Um, oh, okay. Which had Kirk All right. Well, ass there's another it. one yeah. if yeah. you're ever in the mood for it. <laughs> yeah. But and Lyndon Chillis was in it. Um, next up, we have Moyna McGill, who plays Mrs. Williams, and she was also in My Fair Lady. This is her only Twilight Zone appearance, but. Most importantly, she is the mother to Angela Lansbury. Yeah, I put that in my notes. That's pretty cool. They actually um, had a couple different times where they they were on screen together. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, yeah. She's the mother of the singing teapot or whatever it is from Between the Beasts. So, yeah. Yeah. Or uh, I, I forgot her character's name from Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> uh, Mrs. She Wrote. I think that was her name. <laughs> <laughs> it was Moina She Wrote. Moina Mo- Mo- She Wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, like, I just saw that. I'm like, like, and then what, when, when I watched the episode second time, I was trying to see like, you know how sometimes maybe like there's traits and things that you get from like, you know, mother to daughter or father to son or whatever. And yeah. I, I couldn't really, uh, just, I couldn't see Angela Lansbury like in her, but like when there's a couple photos of them side by side on set of like a couple things they did, it's like, you could definitely tell like that, you know, that obviously they're related, but you know, she was so, uh, wishy-washy and kind of screechy. Not screechy is not the right word in this episode. She was so, I don't know, mousy. That's probably the better word to describe because screechy would imply that she's just yelling the entire time that I really didn't get a vibe for her character, or her ability to act at all in this episode, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Same thing. I, di- I didn't really recognize her or see anything that was like, you know, she looks familiar. But as soon as I, as soon as I read that and I look back at her picture, it's like, oh yeah, I could, yeah. I could see it for sure. All right. But so not not so much in the episode. Yeah. And then um, Pete was the parrot. I don't know his his actual his stage name or anything. They would just, you know, I don't know <laughs> the, that, yeah. you know, whatever. Anyway, he he plays predominant in the episode. So you got to mention Pete, you know, so there, there's not too many times where you have a character on the Twilight Zone that is side by side with Rod Serling. So that's pretty important. You know, yeah, they they share a moment together. They do too. share a moment. We'll, together. we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was going to say. Speaking of Serling, I don't know if you just want to get right to that, or if we want to like set it up. I mean, I guess we can just let Serling talk about the episode. Yeah, let's do it. That's Oliver Krangle, a dealer in petulance and poison. He's rather arbitrarily chosen four o'clock as his personal Gotterdammerung, and we are about to watch the metamorphosis of a twisted fanatic, poisoned by the gangrene of prejudice to the status of an avenging angel, upright and omniscient, dedicated and fearsome. Whatever your clocks say, it's four o'clock. And wherever you are, it happens to be the Twilight Zone. See, the the parrot's important. Only Serling would use Goddardamerung in the sentence in an intro to a TV show. Yeah, like so. I um, I meant to put that in my notes. Did did you like? Did you want to explain that? I know it's like an event, right? Like, yeah, it's basically a collapse. Um, I think the I think the actual definition was like collapse of a society, um, through like uh, violence. Uh, let me. I'm trying to bring it up again. Yeah, a collapse as of society or regime marked by a catastrophic violence and disorder and parrots. So, no, um, yeah, so. basically, basically a downfall of society brought on by something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, the, where do we start with this? Like this is a this is a weird episode. 
Yeah, it definitely is. But I, I just want to bring that up because we always talk about Serling getting wordy on these episodes. And I was like, yep. <laughs> there we go. I mean, you know, even with like now, it's like you could be on Netflix and be like, what did he say and reverse it? I'm sure at the time people would be like, oh, okay, he said Dick Goddard. Okay, that's fine. Let's move on. You know, his own personal <laughs> Dick Goddard, you know, who was just a young and upcoming weatherman at the time. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> for, for anyone who doesn't know who Dick Goddard is, he, he's a uh, legendary local Cleveland weatherman. So. <laughs> He, he had yet to encounter the the scourge that was the woolly bear at that time in his life. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, that's a really local reference. And I apologize. But like I hear that word and I'm like, I just I, I don't know. My, my brain scrambles. I hear Dick Goddard. So anyway, um, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So we open on uh, man, this is going to be a weird one. We op- we open on Oliver Krangle on the phone at his desk. Surrounded by a bunch of papers, he he almost looks like a bookie or something with yeah, like the visor, the, the visor on. The visor. He's and got like, the yeah. real thick Coke bottle uh, uh, glasses on and everything, and he's frantically looking through a list and making phone calls. We hear him calling the first person, and uh, he's speaking to this man's boss, and he says, uh, "You have this this man Alfred Brewster working for you. He is a communist." He basically says like. Don't worry who I am. Just you need to you need to take care of him, fire him, do what you need to do. Just trust me on this. Um, so he hangs up. He's flipping through his papers again. Next up, he calls the school superintendent and basically tells him that there's this teacher who is a drunk and he is, has some inappropriate relationships with some of the students and all this. And uh, again, like, don't worry about who I am. Just take care of this. No, I'm not making this up and all this. And um, hangs up the phone. Uh, and I just love all the attention to detail in this between like the glasses, um, his performance. He's just he is in this. Like yeah. he is his attention. Like it, it could be the end of the world outside. He is focused on what he's doing on this. And even as far as like how he uses the pencil sharpener and how obsessive he is about like everything on his desk. Um, I thought I thought it was a nice little touch to start this episode, and it's they kind of just drop you in, yeah. So you do. have no idea what's going on. It's really disorienting um, and kind of off-putting. And the fact that Oliver won't identify himself to the people he's talking to on the phone, he's like, "It's not important who I am. It's it's just important that you know what's going on." And then every so often he drops like a peanut into like this like little bucket beside um, like a little cup by the parrot. He keeps like there's just a bit where he's just ranting about like this stuff. And I'm like, just a man in a vest and a banking visor ranting to his parent, you know, like life goals. That's that's all, you know, like he's just in his little apartment, just yelling at his bird and calling people up and just ruining lives. It is it's a very it's a very auspicious like start to this episode where I'm like, where's this going? Like I was expecting like some really interesting things to happen because usually sometimes when you get dropped in the middle, the middle of someone's life like this, I don't know. Like it, it, it was promising a lot of, of intrigue and we'll get there. But at first yeah. I was really, really interested into what was going on. Yeah. I, I like, so his bird, this parrot Pete, um, I wasn't quite sure what was going on with that. Cause the bird kept saying something throughout the episode. Yep. And I, I was trying to figure out what it was, but it, it, yeah, yeah. The short story cleared it up for me. It, <laughs> obviously, you can just read it. Um, but yeah, the, so the bird's just asking for uh, nut. So he just keeps saying nut throughout the episode. So take that for <laughs> what it's worth. 
Yeah. So, um, it, it just anyway, so we get like more like, you know, Oliver, we get him talking about how he, um, realizes that he wants to destroy evil today. Like this is the day that evil is destroyed. Like not yesterday, not tomorrow. Today's the day evil is destroyed. And it's going to be at four o'clock and how he doesn't know. Yeah, he just knows. He is, he is dangerously close to the window, though, when he's talking about <laughs> how he wants that end evil. I was, I was sweating for him. Yeah, so he just is like basically he's so sure that whatever's going to happen is going to happen at four o'clock, and um, and he's talking to his bird, and it's just like he, but it's like there's there's this like um, uh, zealotry or whatever you want to like. What's the, you know, he's just so uh, he's so sure that this is what's going to happen and that he will figure it out. You know, and it's very. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing and and then so of course with the episode being called four o'clock and with him immediately saying something's going to happen at four o'clock, it's like something better happen at four o'clock like you know like it's like yeah. you're just you know like it's it usually when you have a story like this with someone making like a a statement to the world at a certain time you expect them to be really close to a bell tower and take a rifle with them you know and it's like you don't really so it's like he's making a threat but he doesn't even know what he's going to do, but it's going to be crazy. So I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but what we end up getting is not at all. what I was expecting. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, uh, once that ticking clock is, is set for four o'clock throughout the rest of the episode, there's always, uh, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time you can hear, the physical mm-hmm. ticking of a clock in the background of the episode. And I like that. I like the way of the, the, uh, the set is decorated. Um, there is a poster. I, I guess it's not a poster. What are those things called? Those little stitched signs. Oh, um, uh, yep. Embroidered. That's, that's, that's yeah. the word. Yeah. Mac- embroidered. Yeah. Yeah. A little <laughs> embroidered sign behind. It says like an eye for an eye tooth for a tooth mm-hmm. behind him. He has a Gettysburg address. There's books everywhere on all different sorts of subjects. He's got file cabinets full of files on people. Like it is, there is so much to look at and it's such rich scenery for an episode being taken, taking place in one room. He's probably the cleanest hoarder I will ever see though. Like, you know, he, he has stuff, but it's not like he looks like he's not living in squalor, just disarray. But he, he's a, He's a professional hoarder, though. Yeah. Like, everything has a place, and there's an obsession to it. Yeah. And uh, I I think they get a lot of what his character is about just through that. And I was that was one of the pluses for me on this episode. That's fair. So, uh, Miss Williams, who I don't know if she's, like, the landlady or someone that's just there in the building that it's not clear, it's not important. She... Well, we yeah. missed uh, the Serling intro, Oh, well, okay, yeah. Sorry. We, yeah. Yeah, it pans over to Serling, and... Uh, he gives his intro and everything, but after he does the intro, he kind of tosses it over to Pete the bird. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's why I wanted, And the bird yeah. gives him a nod. It's amazing. And then the it's, bird, it's, the bird makes a noise. That's why I left it in the intro with him because it's like you got to hear Pete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good on Pete. That's he, great. Yeah, it's one of my favorite Serling intros. <laughs> Just him throwing it over to the bird. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, and the bird handled itself well. Like I, it would have been even better if the bird would have pulled a cigarette out of its beak and then like did like you know <laughs> a little bird suit on a cigarette. Bird Serling. <laughs> I was gonna say Rod Burr. Rod Burling. Burling. That's even better. Yeah, Rod Burling. Oh God, that's even better. Uh, that's yes, yes. Oh man, yeah. the race to the bottom. 
this is what you can expect on this uh, premium content on Patreon. Hey, More of like, this. I, I think I think it lines up perfectly with everything we've done so far. Uh, bad jokes and animals. I think that's perfectly. And you've already referenced a window someone may may or may not fall out of. So we're almost um, like so. If I could somehow figure out, we could figure out like a helicopter crash into all of this. We'd be like perfect. It'd be amazing. If anyone listening is an artist out there, if if you can draw us a cartoon of uh, Rod Birdling, <laughs> uh, I would highly appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it may or may not become the mascot for the show. Like uh, this, that would be if we could please make Rod Birdling a thing. That would be you'd have my heart forever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Rod Birdling. Yeah. So there's a knock at the door after that, and this is <laughs> this is when uh, Mrs. Williams comes in, bringing him his mail. Yeah, and so I like that, like she's like bringing the mail, and she's kind of like just talking, and she, it almost feels like one of those people that like they don't have much of a life, so they're just going to hang around, and like she's taking his mail and holding it up to like the lamp, looking through it as she's talking to him. I'm like, that's a terrible thing to do, but at the same time, he's kind of like a complete asshole to her the entire time too. So I don't know, like. Yeah. yeah, and she has to wonder what he does for a living. He's just held up in his room constantly. So uh, you, there's got to be like, uh, like, how are you paying rent? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> she has to be kind of stressed out about that, and at least interested in what he's doing in there. So it makes sense, and it's it's a very like the nosy landlady is such a thing from like 50s and 60s television. Um, I feel like so many shows have like that, you know, even into the seventies with like three's company with like mm-hmm. Don Knotts and stuff. Like there's always that nosy landlord that's getting too involved. Well, and I like that his way of kind of like scaring her off is like, Oh no, no, no. Like, um, what was it? She says, um, was it you threaten people? And he's like, I don't threaten people. I compile them. And then he, uh, pulls a card out. That's all about her. And he like, just like, just like basically just lays her out bare, like all her faults. And he's like, Oh, I have a file over there that is much more in depth. And that just scares her out the door. Like it is, uh, it, it's interesting. It raises a lot of questions though. Yeah. And he gives a little bit more in that when, uh, so I think at one point he says like, Oh, you'll thank me one day after he's kind of kicking her, rushing her out. Yeah. Uh, if you're still around and she, she takes that as a threat and he was like, no, I'm not threatening you. He's like, I'm very methodical. I do research. I judge and I punish. And so you get the idea that there's something not right about him. There's something, there's something a little bit more, uh, nefarious going on. Yeah. So she gets scared out as she's rushing down the stairs. Uh, was and Mrs. Lucas is walking up the stairs and she asks if this is where Oliver lives. And then, um, uh, Mrs. Williams is like, yeah, you should bring police with you though. Like basically like this guy's a scary dude. And I also like, she's like, uh, what'd you say? Um, he, uh, he, the man's got a leak in his attic a mile wide is what she says. Yeah. It's a way to put it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she goes up there, knocks on the door and basically is asking him why he's trying to ruin her husband's life. And he's a doctor who ended up having a patient die on his watch. So he's he's consumed with the idea that he should have gotten to this patient earlier and that the doctor is at fault for this woman's death and that he's a murderer and evil. So he's been writing letters to the hospital nonstop trying to get her husband fired. Yeah, and then she's like, you know, my husband, basically she's like, he's a little bit more sensitive and this constant harassment is going to be 
it, it's one it's unwarranted because he you know because Krangle really doesn't understand the con the, you know the like what was going on and Krangle's not a doctor you know and she's yeah. just like trying to be like you know yes this happened it's unfortunate um but you don't understand the context and, he, and but but in Krangle's life there is not context it's either like you know there's do or do not kind of you know yeah. and he it's it's very black and white yeah. like this is good this is evil uh, there's no room for any gray area which most people live in yeah so <laughs> it's a uh, um but and he he believes he has the right to decide what that black and white is um and it, he's giving out these uh these sentences basically on uh who's allowed to do what um but yeah so finally he he tells her why he's doing this and he says because they're evil all these people are evil he's again by the window yeah looking down comparing humanity to bacteria and all this stuff and then we get this uh maniacal laughter uh that you know when i when I say that he's basically a Bond villain in this, this is one of those <laughs> scene chewing moments where he is, he is straight out of like a B movie spy film. Yeah. It, it's, and I like it. It's, it's cool. It's, it didn't quite fit what was going on in this episode with this performance, but I can't dug it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess like I, I, you know what? I guess I'm just going to say this right now. Like just because we're about to get into like the more, like it's not, it doesn't get weirder until like the last like five minutes of the episode. Um, I kind of hate this episode. I kind of hate it a lot. <laughs> I kind of hate it as the most of any episode we've seen. Like it just, oh, I, like, so I'm actually really excited that I've, we've hit a new bottom. Like for me anyway, I just, um, <laughs> like, and I didn't want to come out and be like, I, you know, at the very beginning, but just, it, it just, his performance is fine, but it, the, the character, it, it just, it doesn't, none of it makes sense. Like there's, it, it's one thing to have somebody be like, Oh, I believe that like I'm absolute judgment and I'll call Like there's even a bit later where he talks to the FBI guy where he's like, Oh, it's most effective when you call people in the middle of the night and accuse them of things and then hang up like, yeah, that's a horrible thing to do to people. But, and I get that he's a bad guy and that he, he his worldview is just weird. It's just, there, I just feel like this this episode does nothing at all, and then when the ending happens, which we'll get to, it's like that's your ending. Like there's just there's so much there's so much nothing. It's just you give this actor this this character, which clearly he's enjoying, and he's just bouncing all over the place like a pinball, running all over everything, and and th there's merits to that, but just from a story standpoint and an execution of when we get to what's going on. I, I kind of despise this episode and I'm going to call it up in the middle of the night and tell it what I feel about it and hang up on it. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> it's just, yeah, I can, I can see there really is no character arc. Yeah. Like it's literally a morality tale um, where the main character is a terrible person who eventually gets his comeuppance. Like, well, we didn't even say that. Like when you talk about his maniacal laughter, why is he laughing? What's his, well, he came to the epiphany of what he's going to do to people. Yeah, so he, yeah. by looking at down at all the people um, down on the street and calling them bacteria because they're down there and they look really small, he he comes up with the idea that at 4 o'clock, he's going to turn all of the evil people <laughs> uh, in this town, world, I, I, I don't know. The world. How the entire many world. people yeah. he has files on. 
Um, it seemed like he just had a map of the city he was living in, but whatever. All the evil people in the world, he's going to turn them two feet tall. Yeah. Like, so the, you, you mentioned something there and then we'll get to the insanity of that statement. Um, not your statement, but the statement of the episode, like he yeah. has a file, like he has like, you're right. You talk about the details of the episode. He has these file cabinets full of files about people. It's like it, it reminds me similarly to whenever in the movie seven, whenever, uh, the cops get into, uh, the killer's apartment and they find all the journals. That's just his rantings. Yeah. And they're all lined up on the wall and they're meticulous. That is the ravings of a madman. But this is, this supposed to be like this clean, like file system of everybody he's judging. And it's like, how many files can there be in this one apartment? Like it's just, there's something like, I understand the intent of the episode. It's just that the logic of it really breaks down for me. And it's, it's really like, do, does he go on to track his success stories? Does he keep all the licenses of all the people he's threatened? Like all the fight club on the back of his door? Like, what do you, like, what do you do? You know, like, it's just, it like some, the premise of this episode, unfortunately would be a lot easier to execute now than it would be then in terms of like yeah. collection information you, you could just keep them on a hard drive or something. I, Cause like, what's the difference between this guy what? and like Alex Jones at like for some of like the, like I'm a zero in on somebody and destroy their life and, and just watch them, you know? Like, yeah. so like it's, like I get, and like, I mean, unfortunately, like the conspiracy theory aspect of this and everything, thinking of like, especially we're kind of jumping around here during the end scene here. Yeah. There's the FBI agent who he calls to his place, which I didn't know you could just call the FBI <laughs> to tell them the story. Yeah. Um, which is that's the next person that shows up after he like pisses off Mrs. Williams because she states her case and she leaves after he's like, I'm going to turn everybody into small people. And she's like, all right, well, I guess we're not talking anymore. And then she just leaves. Good, good decision, by the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, but they, he, yeah. He basically has this conspiracy theory that the communists have taken over the government and yeah. infiltrated every part of our judicial system. So he can't trust anyone. And uh, unfortunately, like conspiracy theories have run rampant these days. And, um, a lot of times, like there was that Paul Schrader movie that came out first reformed that de deals with, um, kind of being isolated and what that can do to your mind. Okay. Uh, given ideas to dwell on and everything. I feel like a lot more these days, it's people uh, being able to, talk to other people that share these crazy ideas that end up spreading these ideas like wildfire. Um, but this one's more so isolation and misanthropy and all that kind of stuff and what that can lead to not being able to deal with it socially and everything. Um, but yeah, check out first reform for more of that <laughs> type of stuff that's in this that's done a lot better. Um, but unfortunately this is kind of relevant again. Yeah. That's maybe, maybe that's also something that's kind of like, you know, you could have had somebody like this character be in an apartment and be a nuisance and, and cause damage, no doubt. But it yeah, would, just, it, I mean, he's it, basically like a, like an internet troll or something. These yes. Days. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if you've, if you're caught up on South park or not, there was a whole, like two seasons ago where, uh, all one of the one of the grown-ups in South Park was a major internet troll, and he. Oh, was, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I forget which father it was. It, oh, was it Stan's father? Maybe not Stan. Um. Anyway, I loved how he would line up to the computer and put on Rush 
and start listening to Rush and just troll everybody. And he was doing it like like he was conducting like a symphony or something. And it's like that's it's not far away from this, you know. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe I don't know. This this clearly there's things about this that you find redeeming in the episode. It's just something about when it hit one sour note, it just kept hitting all of them for me. And it just yeah. never came back. And it just, it sank pretty fast. Cause like I said, the end, the intro is very compelling. Cause you're like, what's this yeah. guy's deal? And then it's like, then implausibility on plausibility kind of start like stacking up. And, and the character just never like, I just, you, you could have fun with crazy and you can appreciate the downfall of crazy. It's just, this guy's just muttering to himself the entire time and talking to a bird. And I don't know, just, yeah. We, we didn't even get to the weirdest part of the episode yet, but yeah. Um, no. Yeah. But it, I, I can understand where you're coming from. And, you know, like all the Twilight Zone episodes we talk about that we're not huge fans of, like some parts of it always end up working for me. And I think there's always some good ideas or like a good message buried in there mm-hmm. um, somewhere. And I, like I said, I think there's there's a ton of stuff you can pull from this that's either relevant or uh important at the time or unfortunately (laughs) important now. Um, But yeah, I I think the execution in this episode is off a little bit. Um, Yeah. Which I mean, I I can't put this at, I can't put this at the feet of Lamont Johnson, which is weird because like, I feel like there, like we talked about his earlier episodes that we've seen so far and there's some amazing things he's done. And then there's also been some like not great ones, but I don't know if that's his fault because like, um, like one more pallbearer was written by Serling and this one was written by Serling. Um, and like five characters in search of an exit was Serling adapting a story, you know? And yeah. it's like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I, I'm not going to blame Lamont Johnson. I'm not going to blame uh, Theodore Bickle. I, 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 I kind of blame Serling. I just, I mean, you could, yeah. you, you, you well, could talk more about the short story. Yeah. Here's yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like the short story is one page. Yeah. Like it's, it's honestly like, maybe six paragraphs. So you, you got pretty much the same amount of information out of one page that you did in 20, 24 pages of teleplay. So I think that's the problem right there. There wasn't enough to work for. So there's a lot of dialogue that goes nowhere that continues to prove the same point over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, like you, you could almost tell the story in a few sentences. Like I know we're getting into the nitty gritty with uh, plot details and all that kind of stuff, but you could pretty much synopsize the thing in about a sentence and get the same, <laughs> you know, like a sentence or two and get the same uh, reaction out of the twist. Yeah. Cause ev- everything is leading up to this last, this last two minutes and it's predictable <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we, we talked about the FBI guy that just showed up and then because all, um, Oliver asked him to show up and I like, there's the moment I like the whole thing. You talked about how he believes that the white house is being taken over by the, by the commies, but he said he called the FBI, the police, the fire department and the white house, which by the way, the FBI is the only one that showed up and there's notice about, he said about the white house. He's like, I don't think they're going to return my call though. Like, I like the idea that <laughs> like as, as, as bash it crazy as he is, he was like, I don't think they're getting back to me. And it's like, oh, well that's kind of reasonable. Oh, cause you think communists are running it. Like it was, yeah. yeah. But the FBI, I guess they had, you know, whatever they have, they have nothing yeah. better to do. They're just going to talk to this dude. They, the, they yeah. had somebody in town. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're like, Hey, can you stop over some crazy guys calling? Um, <laughs> But yeah, I like the FBI agent the entire time is very calm, uh, very collected. 
actually at one point pulls a cigarette out and starts smoking. Um, but finally when he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything about this. Like you need to, you need to seek psychiatric help. Like, uh, I, I gotta go. So he starts to leave and, um, uh, Oliver runs to the door and he's like, I should have known it. You guys have been infiltrated by the communists too. And uh, as the agent's walking away, he's telling him, enjoy your last 15 minutes. Um, Cause at four o'clock, you know, judgment day is coming. So he goes over to the window, he's screaming out the window again, which <laughs> with our history of people falling out of windows <laughs> on the show, I was just like, this, this can't be how it ends. Um, but yeah. Uh, and also in, uh, our talks. He was very sweaty in this last couple minutes of this episode. So he that's another sweaty, box yes. to check on the Twilight Zone Twilight Zone uh, checklist. Yes. Um, so it finally hits four o'clock. It's time, and the bird actually speaks to him. Yeah, so it calls him a nut. Like you know. Yep. So yeah, um, and yeah, uh, he realizes that he's the only one that shrunk down to two feet. But it's like, so like, it's just the media, like he's looking out the window and it does this cutaway to the bird kind of looking down. And then it's this, like, they clearly built like an oversized, you know, uh, windowsill and you have the actor reaching up because he had a pencil in his hand to begin with. And then the pencil's like, you know, the same size as he is. And he's like trying to reach for the windowsill or something. And it's like, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of not like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, he he's now like upset that now he's two foot tall. I don't know how that works, um, but he's two foot tall. And then the birds just kind of looking at him. And that's, that's the end of the episode is that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. So very, <laughs> it's really predictable. Like as soon as he comes up with that idea, like, you know, what's going to happen when yeah. you get to the end of this, like, whether or not he actually did turn two feet tall or that's just, you know, how he feels or whatever. That's up to, uh, that's, uh, that's left up to the, uh, to the viewer. But, uh, I would argue it's not, I feel like the viewers made to be told that this guy is a, a tiny guy now, you know, like, you uh, think, yeah, I think I, so. Yeah. I don't know. I took it as more of like, uh, I think, I think Sterling stopped being ambiguous in season one because enough people were like, we don't know. Cause <laughs> he, he, I'm like, yeah, is he two feet tall or isn't he? Yeah. Cause I, I, I maybe I'm giving this episode too much credit by saying <laughs> it's left up to the viewer. Maybe he did just turn two feet tall. Yeah. I mean, we literally just had another guy last episode yelling at tiny people and, uh, but that they, was space. That was space. Yes. Anything can happen. Yeah. We're going to make the statue again. You know, anyway. Um, yeah. So, there, there was actually a radio adaptation of this, um, where the ending was actually altered to be a little bit more gruesome because the bird actually, uh, mistakes Krangle for a nut. Like, and I'm like, okay, well you, you, that's, I mean, that's dark, but I would actually get along with that where he is now small and the, and the birds are saying the word nut over, you know, bird, bird, uh, rod birdling is now saying nut over and over again and attacking Krangle. I, I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So no, yeah. I, I, I like, I like the bird saying not over and over again. I, I couldn't figure out what it was saying while I was watching the episode. And then when I read the short story, I'm like, ah, of course that makes sense. Yeah. Cause they actually had a human say that cause they didn't actually have the bird say it because you know, <laughs> why yeah. not? Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. Like I just, I, I just, 
I hate this episode. I really, really do. And huh? I, I know it's our, our, our goal is not to tear down. Um, but like just both times I watch this, I'm like, I, even in my notes and I, and I can't repeat this cause it's, you know, well, actually, no, I, I didn't swear. And I wrote Jesus Christ. I hate this episode. I wrote all the, all in caps, but <laughs> I, um, just, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And then it ends the way you expect. And it's just, you know, it, I, I get what it's going for. It just, it's so heavy handed. You know, and it just there, there, there is the skeleton of an inter- interesting story here. Um, yeah, like and, I said, there, there are good ideas in there. Yeah. Uh, my biggest thing with this episode, like I said, like you said, it doesn't really go anywhere, but it takes a long time to not go anywhere. <laughs> that's the thing. We're like, that's really forgivable when you're reading a like a short story for a couple minutes. But when you're watching that couple minutes dragged out to 25 minutes um, and it, like getting the same reaction out of the viewer or reader, like that, that's the problem for me. And, and like I said, I, I enjoyed Theodore Bickle's performance in this. Um, I liked the setting quite a bit. Um, the direction was fine. Like there wasn't anything. No, there was one the scene. Was he fine. knocks a lamp over with the landlord in the room. And he picks it up and he's kind of speaking into it and it's lighting him from below and everything. Like I, that was the only real inspired uh, directing work in this episode that I, I picked out. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like the the story is just it's really not compelling past the first five minutes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm tipping my hand that this is going to probably end up in my uh, bottom five for the season. Um, just, I, and I, it's weird that that I feel like there's oftentimes where you and I are, are kind of on the same page with some of this stuff. Um, yeah, I just this one just like I, it's also kind of like uh, like a piano in the house. Like that one just kind of hit me wrong halfway through, and I'm like, I'm done with this. And I don't know, like I just it, this is just it's starting to kill me because. I, I want to love the twilight zone and there's a lot here that I do love, but I just feel like, when are we going to get like, w- w- when, when are we going to get that thing again where we are like, yes, this is a great one. Like the, like, I don't know. It's been a stretch of not, not the things that I've liked. Um, uh, well, good news. Next episode is called Hocus Pocus Hocus and a Frisbee. frisbee. <laughs> so <that's- laughs> no, it's Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, not Hocus Pocus and a Frisbee. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just about some guys just out there, you know, uh, out there hitting the links, uh, playing some frisbee golf. You know, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> but yeah, that that one's not looking promising to me. Well, I mean, Little Girl Lost was pretty good. Like I like that one, and we saw that recently. And even the Fugitive had things that were that one. The good outweighed the bad for me. But it just like yeah. man, I just feel like we're hitting like like a rough landing with this season. And I and I hate to say it because like so I I may, I, I, I put this in my notes to make the joke. And I want to bring it up now, and this is a bad joke. But so the number one song again we, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode was "Don't Break the Heart That Loves You" by Connie Francis. I looked up the lyrics to this, and I just this is how I feel about Rod Serling right now. Don't break the heart that loves you. Handle it with care. Don't break the heart that needs you, darling. Please be fair. Like so, um, there's a lot here, you know, that I'm like Serling. Why do you flirt and constantly hurt me? Why do you treat our love so carelessly? You know, like I just. Connie Francis is singing my heart song to Rod right now. I just don't know how I feel about this. So very, very appropriate. He should have sung that. You would have been the 
Rod Birdling of the generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I almost I almost tried singing some stuff on the other show that I do, and it did not go well. So no, I'm not singing any of this. Um, but yeah, it's like you know, it's just I feel like these lyrics are very appropriate. Where it's like, Rod, I love you. Why, why, why do you hate me right now? Like that's what yeah. I feel like. <laughs> I, I think he hated the show by this point. Uh, That's true. Yeah, yeah, that was true. At the end of season two, he felt like a sack of potatoes out in the sun. So, you know, I, I know they all can't be winners. I get it. But man, I just, I don't know. I feel like there was like, so far, I know the mighty Casey in season one was one that you and I were just kind of like, eh. And I know we joke about a shot and arrow and I'm going to bet Mr. Den on doomsday probably feels much better now than what we've seen <laughs> half the series. Yeah. Um, this one just, it just, it was sour from the start and it just kept getting worse. And I could be, I could be forgiving enough to see what they're going for and the performances, but I just did not like this episode. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't hate as much as you. I was just kind of, kind of in the middle of it. Um, I feel like the stuff I did like in the episode and the stuff I didn't like just kind of met in the middle. And, um, you know, it, it's just, it was just okay for me. <laughs> yeah. So let I guess this, cause we have to do this. Let's just, uh, rate the twist. <laughs> I'm going to give it a two that his plan would backfire on him. Like it's like, you're right. It's very predictable, but the way it backfired on him, I did not see coming. Like in terms of him physically becoming two foot tall and struggling to grab a pencil uh, and the bird judging him. Like I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I'm actually going to be harsher on the twist because as soon as he said all the, all the evil people are going to become two foot tall. I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen to him. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give the twist a one. Oh, wow. All right. Well then I'm glad that we've, uh, we've whipped this thing. Like we took it out behind the woodshed and beat it in different ways. No, that's not true. Um, so, Hey, I, I kind of like the episode. I just, I didn't really like the twist. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair. All right. So, um, yeah, that, that's going to do it for our talk about four o'clock. May we never speak of it again. Um, and, uh, Kevin, how can top people five top five the season for me? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be like, my top it's four o'clock, four o'clock. You're going to name it like five times and I'll be like, yeah. and I'll be two foot tall trying to grab a pencil to, to write down my feelings about how you're wrong about it. Um, yeah, so so if yeah. two feet tall was uh, was uh, evil, what does it make the little people from the last episode? They're just bastards, they, you know. Yeah, they like, ha- they have to be like super evil. They're like, like I don't. Know. They're <laughs> like um, like tiny Hitlers. They're just a bunch yeah. of tiny super Hitlers, and we don't even we didn't even know that part. That would have been the twist that we did not see coming with that. Where it's like, oh, he's ruling all over all these people. It's like that's bad. He's stepping all their houses, but it's a bunch of Hitlers. Be like, oh well, that's okay, I guess, you know. <laughs> That would have been a surprising twist. <laughs> yeah. It would have been, it, what was the actor that played, uh, um, oh my God, in the first season? I know was, you're talking about the Genie in the Bottle episode. Yeah, the, played, yeah, played the yeah. Genie in the Bottle. I can't remember the actor, yeah. <laughs> it's just all him. Like, just- <laughs> I'm a bunch of tiny Hitlers <laughs> at the end of it. That would have been the twist. I would have loved that. All right. Anyway, this was not the little people this week. I can we could I just hope that there is one episode of something in the future where somebody yells, I'm Tiny Hitler. Like that would be <laughs> but not like as like a proud thing, but more like they're just they're terrified and disgusted that they're that there a, tiny a bunch Hitler, of tiny Hitlers. That there's a bunch of tiny Hitlers. <laughs> oh, the tiny France is screwed. That's all I gotta say about that. Anyway, all right. How could how can people get a hold of us? Man, this episode off the rails. Uh, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. 
if you want to leave us voicemail or leave us any feedback on there. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Patreon. Patreon.com slash Strange Highways. Um, and then you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Satchel. Um, ask your smart home device to play us. Anywhere you want to listen to us, we should be there. Um, outside of Spotify. Still working on that one. Um, and then if, if whatever you listen to us on, if you could go and rate and review us, it would really help us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tiny Hitler is like the Elton John song. No one talks about anymore. I just want to mention that. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. So next episode is not Hocus Pocus and a Frisbee. It is a uh, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. And Kevin's going to love the description of this one. Uh, <clears throat> As it happens to all men, a newcomer takes his first steps into the Twilight Zone next week when Mr. A. Divine joins us for a show called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. He plays the role of a storekeeper of the Cracker Barrel variety who stretches the truth like most people pull on taffy. This one is for laughs and for the congenital lives amongst you. Next week, Mr. A. Divine, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Man, that... that those are the words I don't want to hear at the end of uh, Sterling synopsis. This one's for laughs. Yeah. And the general <laughs> liars. And I, but like, I like that he plays the role of a storekeeper of a, of the cracker barrel variety. So that means it's a restaurant I don't want to go to. And I hate their gift store. Like, in, like before you get into the food part. So I'm hoping it's yeah. not an actual cracker barrel, but already I'm not, I'm, al- I'm worried. The alien looks pretty cool. So that's, that's good, I guess. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So next week, Hocus Pocus and a Frisbee. <laughs> Not really. Uh, whatever. We'll get there when we get there. So, yeah, it's going to do it for us this week. And uh, so for, for me and Kevin and for uh, Bird Serling. <laughs> no, sorry. No, Rod Birdling. Ah, oh, no. I ruined his name already. Uh, for Rod Birdling. Um, yeah. You know, um, I guess don't be a screw up because you'll eventually become two foot tall and a bird will eat you. That's what we learned from this. Not. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.